0: Good morning, my name is Shannon Ford, and if you could please stand for the reading of the word. We are gonna be reading Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so um, this morning I asked Matt if we could do something just a little bit different since um, we're going into uh, him preaching about marriage. If he could come up here and um, we could pray together. Um... And God kind of moved my heart a little bit in some of what um, my prayer to God is this morning uh, as I was getting ready. So this is like completely spontaneous, which is like my nerves are crazy right now. So just bear with me. But anyways, um, everybody please bow your heads as we pray. Father God, Matt and I come for you this morning as he prepares to preach what you have to say about marriage. We come to your feet, broken and humbled, God. As we, ourselves, being completely open and honest, faced conflict last night, late into the morning, which only moved us to see as we went to bed in this morning, how dependent we are on your spirit to guide us into harmony with each other. God, we beg, we beg for your mercy over the marriages of our church. We respectfully and thankfully recognize the example that you've given us as your holy trinity, a true picture of love and submission towards each other we're so we so gratefully praise the example as I read in the scripture that Jesus gave us with his church God way may we as married couples come to each other in the same way willing to have grace and mercy on each other willing to not only die for one another but to lay our lives, our desires, our needs, our wants before each other, putting only you first, our spouse second, both before ourselves, God. God, we thank you. As you revealed to me this morning that I was in awe of the fact that as you, God, needing nothing, decided to add flesh to yourself, you've given us this great gift of being able to add flesh to ourselves by being married. And to change God, change my picture, and change our picture of our spouse as only added benefit, added flesh, God. The benefits that Matt brings to me, are so great God that is nothing that I should be willing to lay down myself for him just as you Jesus laid down your life for our church God I pray this over everybody God I pray that as we leave today I pray that as we go through this sermon I pray that we're in constant prayer to you God for healing and love and mercy please give Matt the words that we need to hear please give him words that open our heart, that soften our heart, God, please soften our hearts for you, God. And we thank you. Amen. You may be seated.
1: would be the temptation to say how do you follow that but I don't have to worry about following that um, because the Word of God follows that and even as, as as touching and as moving as helpful as kind and as grateful as I am for what my wife just prayed for not only us but all of us um, my goodness um, Do you, do you know what doesn't make me a pastor? Do you, do you know what doesn't make me a pastor? Is being a better or smarter or stronger or more capable or more qualified person than you guys. Me, me, my my position as a pastor isn't founded specifically or finally or ultimately on my quality. It's, it's founded on the quality of Christ, his authority to call me to be a pastor. I walk as a pastor, I lead and I serve and I do ministry from, from his quality and from his calling because I can't sustain what I'm supposed to do as a pastor based off of my own quality my own capability. And the same is true for me as a husband. As we're going to see in this passage, husbands are to be the head of their homes, to be leaders, servant leaders to their wives, and if there are children, to their children. And that calling on men to step up, to rise up, and receive and walk in that calling to be a husband. It's not founded in any sort of idea that men are supposed to lead in the home because you're smarter or less emotional, which by the way is not true, or sturdier or braver or tougher. I'm a pastor and I'm the one called to preach even though the better one in my marriage prayed and went off stage. She's better than me, I think so. So, just as I'm, I'm a pastor, not because of what I'm capable of or what is natural to me, good or bad, neither am I a husband and servant leader in my home because of those things either. We're, we've been taking the last several weeks and we're gonna be doing so throughout the rest of this summer in our series uh, looking at what we're calling the gospel traits. These are outward and visible markers in the way that a Christian speaks and behaves that ought to bear evidence. They, they, they ought to serve as testimony, as, as evidentiary material to other people who can see that Christian speaking and acting. It should, should be an outward and visible marking that indicates, yes, this person really does believe the gospel. They don't just say they believe the gospel. They're not simply a professing Christian, but they are a living Christian. Their life bears out what they claim. I offered us at the beginning some principle guiding convictions for our series. The things we've been going over and what we will be going over, these are traits that are already ours. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then these are all yours. They belong to you from God. And whether or not you are brand new in your Christian life, if you're a a baby, these are yours. They are your inheritance, and they are for you to pick up. And if you've been walking with the Lord for decades, these are yours, and they have been all along. Whether at some times you've done well with them or not, whether you feel like you are strong or weak in them, these, these are yours. They belong to you. These aren't traits that belong to upper tier, elite level, better Christians. And specifically for you, I don't want you to be tempted to believe that this these traits are something to maybe think about aspiring to. And it's totally, I, I totally get it. That maybe Pastor Matt or, or 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 Christian or Stuart or or someone in the church that you admire or or think really highly of that th- this is for them to walk in. But like, I mean, this maybe if someday I can really get my act together as a Christian, maybe I can walk in these. Don't I want to disabuse you of that of that notion? This is Christianity. There's no such thing as a Christian who is mediocre versus a Christian who's elite. These are the traits of someone who believes the gospel and we are all growing in them. And these traits apply to every area of our everyday lives. These aren't things that we as Christians do at the church building on Sundays or with our community groups or when we're in religious or holy spaces. These are traits that bear out and show up in your home at the dining room table at 1 a.m. when you're having a very hard and confusing conversation with your spouse. These are traits that show up when you're at work or in your car with your friends. These are traits there is no sacred or secular divide. All of life for the Christian is meant to be holy, for your Father in heaven and your King Jesus and his Spirit are holy, and therefore you are to be holy. These gospel traits. Number three, that Christ is responsible for our perfection so we can focus on practice. What does most practice look like? What does it feel like most of the time when you're practicing? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Failure. That's what practice looks like and feels like as a Christian, as you practice these traits, these are gospel traits, and we have a gospel of grace. So we have a father, we have a king, we have our very own Holy Spirit who is our life, and he indwells us. He is not calling us to functional perfection. He's calling us to pursue perfection, practice, fail, and keep trying, because our gospel of grace gets gets us the gift of repentance. We get we get to screw up, we get to sin, we get to stumble and we get to get back up and keep walking toward our god. And he doesn't get tired of welcoming us welcoming us back on our next step after getting up. We commit to the long gospel journey with others moving in the same direction. That that would be a very pertinent principle for today speaking of the gospel trait that we're supposed to see in marriage. When we get marri- when you get married, you are making a Long term commitment, a covenant to a gospel journey, a long gospel journey. And that that road is not straight, and the speed limit is not 70. It's got hills and it's got curves, it's got chunks of the road missing. Half the time, Georgia DOT has just got your marriage journey like closed down, shut off, you got to wait. And, and apparently, you're, you're driving down that road with a crazy driver who thinks the same about you. But we commit to the long gospel journey, moving in the same direction. And finally, the victory of each day is actually secured by Christ's victory on the last day. So if, if someday this past week was a hard day for you in marriage, and it was not good, and you have to tell the truth, it's, it wasn't good. If yesterday or even today is a day where you have to be able to tell the truth and say, "Yeah, this is this is a tough spot," I share in this. She shares in this. We're sharing in this. And th- today, the victory for today is not secured in your performance, her performance yesterday, or this morning, or what you what you are concerned and worried and wringing your hands over potentially about what's going to happen tonight or tomorrow. Your victory, which is your joy, your, your soul rest, your peace, that's secured by Jesus who will come for his bride. And he'll make it right so you can face today. You can face tomorrow. You can face any small or minor victory. You can face any small or major victory. Feeling like it's a defeat, some big catastrophic loss, and you can face those. You can go because it's Christ who walks with you, and He's leading us. Victory, that's ultimate. So today's gospel trait is concerning what a Christian marriage looks like. Uh, I title my sermons, but I don't normally like publish and tell you the title of today's sermon. But I feel like it's I feel like it's important today. The title of today's sermon is really simple you before me you before me here's the big idea christian spouses give one give one another joy by reflecting the glory of christ you know the purpose of your marriage is not for someone to come into your life and make you happy and complete you that's not the purpose of marriage not even close and For those who are a little more altruistic and go, no, 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 it's the opposite. The purpose of marriage is to make the other person happy. No. You you should be trying to do that. That is a goal. High up there. But that's not the big E on the I-chart. The purpose of marriage, the reason God ordained, defined, designed, and gave marriage, man and wife, to one another, is for his glory. Is to show how good God is. Now, I, when I give my kids presents at Christmas or, or, or birthday or whatever, when I do something or I bring something nice into their lives because I love them, I am trying to make them happy, and I'm generally mainly thinking about, will this make my kid happy? I want to see them happy. But I want you to know something is happening underneath that, that. I want my children to know not only simply that I love them, but that I'm a good dad and they can trust me. Now, that would be glory, and I'm not trying to seek my own glory in the way God seeks his glory, but there is a similar machinery happening there. God gives marriage, he gives all good things that come humanity's way, he gives them in such a way that we would know that he loves us, and because we have a God who loves us, we see that as glorious, as astounding, as good, and in that glory, do you remember a few weeks ago? That, that that inseparable bond between glory and joy. Do you want joy? Do you want happiness? you want security and soul rest? Hope? you want fire in your belly? Do you want steel in your spine? Do you want the strength in your hands to yet one more day cling to a cross and still remain a Christian? Do you want joy? Then you chase glory. You find glory. And you chase after that. And your greatest joy is going to be secured in finding and laying hold of the greatest glory, which is God. The purpose of your marriage is to glorify God. And in glorifying God, then you are imaging how good Jesus has been to you and trying to show that to this person you're married to. Because if I want to make you happy, if I want to make my wife happy, if I want to, if I want to take care of her, love her, honor her, then I, my my strategy is to show her and convince her that Jesus loves me and has been kind to me and he forgives me and he'll never give up on me. And he's, he says, Matt, I, I die so that you can live. And I want her to be happy. I want her to be safe. I want her to flourish. And so I want to... At my best, I want to live in such a way with my wife to show her that that's the Jesus I have and that's the Jesus she has. And how, how do I do that beyond simply telling her, I've got to show her in my own imaging and reflecting Jesus way. When I do marriage counseling, pre-marriage, premarital counseling, there's, um, I don't. I. I didn't. I'm not drawing the picture today, but I'll just describe it because it's a really simple picture. I want you to think of a big X, all right? Just a big X on a sheet of paper. At the bottom of one leg of the X is a husband. At the bottom of the other leg of the X is the wife, and they form an X. It's called a chiasmus because the the, the letter chi, X. Um, that's the picture we've drawn. And it's notable, by the way, to me that uh, in the Greek language, chi is the, is the letter of the alphabet, which forms the first part of the name Christ. So in Greek, when you see the word Christ, it starts with an X, the chi. Now, the gospel marriage of this gospel trait of you before me, I want to show you how good Jesus is, how he's been to me, and I want i want to show you that you have him too, and he loves you too. You can trust him and obey him, and you'll be safe with him. It forms that chiasmus, and here's here's how this works. Because, because Jesus is your master, and because the glory of his gospel brings you joy, husband, wife, then your primary posture in your marriage toward your spouse needs to it, it should be communicating that I know how Jesus has loved me. I know how he's faithful to me. I know how he's served me. He who is the only one worthy of, of being served, he has served me. He, he's protected me. He's fighting for me. He's providing for me. And I know he's committed to my good in every possible way. Therefore, I... Am primarily interested in seeking the same for you. My primary goal in this chiasmus, in in a gospel marriage, my primary goal isn't to please myself, it isn't to secure my own safety, it isn't to make sure that I get my own gain, my own honor, my own goodness, my own protection, my own dignity, my own respect. My gospel aim, my primary goal isn't to seek and secure and make sure I have those things, it's it's to seek and pursue and fight for her having those things. That's the gospel trait in a husband, that's the gospel trait in a wife. I want you to think when the, when the, when a husband looks at his wife and goes, I know you, I love you, and I I see what you need, and I see what you value, I see what you care about, I see what you fear, I see what hurts you, I see what's raw, I see what scares you. And that matters the most to me in this marriage. And so whether it's physical intimacy in bed or if it's how how the money is handled or how we're gonna order and structure the home or how we're gonna deal with careers or raise our kids, In all areas of our life, my goal needs to be, ought to be, if I'm believing the gospel, is to ferociously pursue everything that my wife needs for her flourishing, for her joy. Now, if any of you husbands are getting a little antsy going, I mean, okay, fine. I I know I'm not supposed to. What about me, though? Sometimes I don't... Imagine what happens when that wife also believes the gospel and she says, I mean, I care about me. I'm, I don't think this requires any of us to not care about our own needs, but to put our spouse's needs above our own. To, when she says, you know what, I care, I care most about ferociously seeking, pursuing, and protecting what his needs are, what he likes, what he loves, what he cares about, I, I, I want to handle kindly and helpfully and lovingly in all the things that threaten him and cause him to stumble or to feel small and diminished and, and weak or doubting. I care about what makes him afraid and I want, to, I want to serve him in those fears with courage. I want you to think about that beautiful collision that happens right at the center of that chiasmus. Because when, when a man and a woman, when a husband and a wife collide in this ferocious dash toward each other's good. I have to tell you that it's going to be an impossibly rare occurrence for either spouse to leave the marriage bed upset or dissatisfied, to leave the dinner table upset and dissatisfied because I didn't have to worry about what I needed. She was worrying about what I needed. She cared. You see, I, you see the way she talked to me? I, you see how she treated me? That's way better than I deserve. I came into this maybe thinking that I was still out. One more time, I'm going to have to get the short end of the stick. I've got to lay my life down and be a martyr. I was worried about that. And, and here I am walking away from this table, and I, I was trying to commit myself to, to giving to her and not worrying about myself. And I end up walking away with way more than I even deserved, way more than I expected. Can you imagine that chiasmus, that that collision of a gospel husband and a gospel wife just every day having that beautiful crash? God's purpose for marriage is revealed to anyone who can see into that kind of Christian marriage that that kind of God is glorious. For the husband and wife We are to image, to reflect, to paint a picture with our very lives of the relationship between Jesus and his church. The man and wife receive non-normative and beyond-worldly joy because both are constantly enjoying the glory of Christ's love being aimed at them, and it's coming from the barrel of their spouse at them, which is a joy that the world would find non-normative. So that's the gospel trait. It's very simple. You before me. The Christian husband says, you before me. You're good before my good. The, the, the Christian wife says, you're good before my good. It's because they're both Christians and they believe the gospel, which tells us that Jesus says, I die so that you live. King of the universe. And I lay my life down for you. And ideally, this honors this picture, this design. It it honors and serves and gives to everybody. Everybody benefits, right? Not just husband and wife. First of all, the most important person who ought to benefit, who ought to gain, even though he has nothing to gain because he already owns everything, he already possesses all. But the first person who, it's Christ. He receives proper honor and glory. In the example of a serving spouse, in the grateful eyes of the served spouse, in the eyes of children who have a front row seat to the glory of Jesus being displayed in front of them in their home by their mom and dad. Jesus gets honored. The people in your church see the glory of Jesus as he rules over kindly in bringing you joy in your marriage. And Jesus gets honored to the people in your church, in your neighborhood, in your family, extended family, in your friendships. The husband is loved with respect He's welcomed to live according to the role and purpose that God has given him. He's honored. He's respected with trust. He's cared for. He's encouraged. He's protected. He's supported. And he isn't encumbered by doubts about whether or not he ought to lead or if he'll be, he'll be followed. He has freedom. He, he walks in power with a clean conscience and a clear mind. The wife is respected with love. She's respected with love. She's cherished, she's honored, she's treated with dignity. Her wisdom, her God-given personality is called upon, is invited, is welcomed. Her God-given gifts are identified, cultivated, and liberated to be used in great power. The godly wife ends up empowered. And stronger and greater than she could imagine. She's listened to and she's taken seriously. and She's trusted. She's protected, encouraged, and she's treated like treasure. Because that's what she is. And she feels safe. And no matter where God takes her marriage in this life, she can go with a husband like this. I want you to think of that the real happiness, the real security and peace this brings in a marriage. And I don't want to paint the picture that a gospel marriage doesn't, doesn't involve sin. Because if I marry you, if I do your premarital counseling, if I do the ceremony, I tell you over and over again in the eight counseling sessions before, and then I say it again a few times during the wedding ceremony, you're adding a sinner to your life. You're adding a sinner to your life. And, it, and the only way to not simply survive or last or dwell in some sort of kind of quasi-peace with another sinner that you're legally bound to, the only way to not only last, but flourish and find this joy that I'm talking about is the gospel marriage of you before me. That's the only kind of thing that can handle being married to and committed until the day you die to a wicked sinner. That's the only way to last to it. Not just last, but to flourish and find joy. There's no other way all other ways will fail. Even if it doesn't end up in a legal divorce or a separation, it will, it will end up with possibly two old people who are roommates and they're cold. And they just, just go to the Golden Corral a lot and eat and don't talk, right? I want you to think how it feels to be in a your good before mine marriage. When it comes to sex, when it comes to how we communicate, when it comes to external friendships or money and lifestyle, the order of the home, all those things. I care less. I do care, but I care less about what I need or what I want. I'm trying to care more about what you need and what you want. And that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 5. And it can only be seen, it can only be experienced when someone there believes the gospel, really believes the gospel, the gospel that that tells us that Jesus says, you're good before mine, I live, I I die before you, so you live. And then they say to this other sinner, I'll die so you can live, you're good before mine. So in verse 23, wives, you are to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. I'm not going to bore you with all of the church world, theologian, doctrinal, uh, um, just kind of controversial uh, critiques and and debates over what this means, but I will simply say there are many in today's society that because they do not like the idea of authority, it's a dirty word, it's a rep- rep- reprobate word, and leadership is a bad idea and everyone needs to be egalitarianly equal and the same, they would tell us that Husbands, the Bible doesn't mean here that the husband isn't supposed to be the leader of the wife. He is. Because Jesus is a leader of his bride, of his church. The Bible doesn't talk bad about, it does not dismantle, God's word does not dismantle authority and leadership. It honors authority and commends and commands righteous godly authority and leadership, and it disavows, and it abominates unrighteous authority and unrighteous wielding of leadership. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here's what I want you to take away, first of all, from this. When a wife trusts the head of the church, she can can trust the head of the home. You're going to have a hard time obeying the Bible here and with respect and submission trusting this fallen, faulty man that you're married to. It's going to be darn near impossible for you to obey if you're not well acquainted and deeply intimate and trusting and believing that the head of the church, the leader of the church is trustworthy. I want to give you a heads up. There are going to be, there, there, when we talk about this, if we're going to do it from the Bible, honestly, there, there are going to be phrases and terms, attitudes that might remind either you here or you listening, that might remind you of like um, kind of quasi-conservative American ideals of like the 50s. And I just want to tell you, I don't care what it sounds like. I mean, I care what it sounds like. I'm working hard as a communicator but because I care what it's, but I don't care what it sounds like because I, I want you to know I don't care about What American culture was like back in the days of Eisenhower back back when we got our husbanding husbanding and parenting wisdom from from Ward Cleaver it's from Leave it to Beaver that's the dad I don't I don't care I don't I don't care one bit about these good old-fashioned traditional values I don't care except and only except and only when they're founded on and are consistent, and they submit to the values of Christ in the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't care what the, cult, the culture is kindling and what is cool or approvable or on the right side of history today. I mean, we are, we've been hitting the accelerator on the change of how fast the mores and the norms and the values of our society just change people who used to think they knew the rules of the new version of how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to act and what is funny and what is not funny and how we should treat people. The people who used to be writing the rules, they're, now they're the ones getting canceled because the rules change fast. I don't care. I, I care about the word of God because it's timeless and it's timely. Wives, submit to your ho- own husbands as to the Lord. That is a dirty word in our contemporary world world, Because submission is a dirty word And authority seems to be a dirty word And here's why Satan has so corrupted those ideas In this way Submission now for us Just subterranean In our subconscious In the the subtext of our culture today Submission must automatically indicate That I'm inferior And if someone's an authority If they're the leader Then that that must indicate that they're better They're superior. And that's not God's paradigm. That's not his dynamic. That's not how he does this math. Because if that were true, the, the son perfectly submits to the father and Jesus is not inferior to the father. Jesus is truly and fully, perfectly, everlastingly, infinitely into time and before time, memoriam, history, and into the future forever. He is God. Fully God. Just as the father is fully God. And so there's a There's a hierarchy, there's an economy of how they interact with one another that isn't based on superiority or inferiority. It's based on love, God's loving wisdom. God commands wives to submit to their husbands. Why? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The Lord's design it's established and given to us for our flourishing. When God says, this is how it ought to work. This is how you need to live. This is how you need to think, feel, speak, and act. When he lays that design, when he lays out the laws, those are for our flourishing. If, you're, if we're in Christ, he's going, this is what will take you into a life with the most joy, with the most peace, with the most wisdom, with the most clarity, with the most safety of heart, mind, and soul that you can have. Follow me. Trust me, obey me. And so, this design for marriage, this pattern is meant to reflect how Jesus is the head of the bride, his church. Jesus is the leader, he's the king, he's the authority, and he intends to show the world that he is king, that he is authority. And he's not simply boss, he's not simply sovereign and in authority, he's good. Many Christians either trip over one or the other side of that. Many Christians have a hard time sitting on one end of the seesaw and recognizing the other side of the seesaw matters equally. Some people have a hard time believing that God is sovereign. They believe he's good, but he, I, just, I, just, I can't trust him to be in control of everything and have it handled and work it right. And other people will go, well, I totally believe he's sovereign. He's, he's king. He can do whatever he wants. Our God is in the heavens, and his throne is above the earth, right? But the struggle for for many of those is 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 just not to be not confident that he's good, that he likes that he likes me, that he loves me. Well, I know he's going to do whatever he wants to do. He he's God. He can do. But I just don't know if he's he's going to. I'm worried that if, I'm going to come to find out that he doesn't like me that much, as he does what he's doing. Our God is sovereign and he's good, fully and totally, perfectly good. And so the Christian church family and the Christian home family are meant to be public demonstrations of who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's done and what his promises are. Our marriage is for the glorification of Jesus Christ to our children, to our friends, our neighbors, our church, the community, so that people might see in us, fallen husband and wife, that Jesus really is worth believing in and trusting in. But it's hard for a wife to trust a husband enough to submit isn't it so, so listen Christians are, are the people who are supposed to tell the truth all right so I'm, I'm one I'm thankful that no no woman humorously said amen right but it's hard it can be really hard to submit to to obey to follow the leadership of your husband and that could be for a variety of reasons and often, not for a single one of those reasons, but maybe a combination of those reasons. Here's, what, here's some reasons why it might be hard, wives, for you to submit to your husband. One is maybe you've had some bad male leaders in your life before your husband. A bad dad. Neglectful or abusive. Not present or domineering. Or a bad husband before this husband. Or bad boyfriends. Men who only took from you even though they assured you over and over again that they love you, but they only took from you and now it's hard to trust this guy maybe it's maybe and this is going to be unpopular but it's absolutely biblical and it's possible maybe maybe in that moment where it's hard for you to submit maybe you're experiencing a spirit of selfishness bossiness controlling personality you have a controlling spirit you just want to be unsubmissive because you are a sinner too and you're walking in the in the natural curse that god tells eve is now hers after the fall your desire will be for your husband and that's that's not you're going to want your husband a lot it's going to be it means you're going to desire to take your husband's place as leader you're going to want to control and here's another reason why it's hard you have a front row seat wives you have a front row seat to your husband's sin, his failure, his foolishness. And right now, this guy's trying to be all holy, and he's trying to do the leadership thing, but it's hard for me to follow you or trust you because you look like a big hypocrite. That's hard. That's legitimately hard. I'm a husband, and I feel for you. I feel for my wife. <laughs> Nevertheless, what's the working motivation God gives to you then? How do you how do you get through this? How, how do you get a what's the heart set and mindset for a wife who's commanded and she's gonna and she's trying to obey, she's trying to trust and obey Jesus and therefore trust and submit to and follow and work out the plan of the leadership of her husband. A husband whose failure she's well acquainted with. Here, here's how you do it. The gospel you do it because you're a Christian. Because you love and trust Jesus above all others. You serve Jesus above all others. You depend on Jesus for everything above all others. So in every way that your husband can fail you, Jesus will not. And he does not. And now you're at less, you feel less risk about going and obeying and submitting and going along with the plan of this fallen husband. Because even if he takes the left hand turn, when you told, go right, I have ways. Hey dummy, got ways, it's that way, you're taking the long way. Even when he does turn left and it takes you an hour and you're all late and you wasted money because you didn't get to the concert in time, even then you still like, cool, be upset, be mad, be hurt, be angry, because you have a legitimate reason. But you you can actually in the future still trust and, and follow your husband even though he got that wrong, because, listen, you'll never go off the tracks with Jesus. Your life won't go haywire, and you'll be lost and not, not have God's love. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There's a, there's a twin of this teaching, this passage. Anyone find this passage that we're reading and talking about um, uh, familiar? Familiar? A few months ago, we went through Colossians. It's, it's, it's got a twin in Colossians chapter 3. And, and the, the word in Colossians 3, to the husband, to the wife, to the parents, to the children, to the worker and their job, the command over all of them is, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You are serving Christ. Colossians 3, 24. You can serve, you can follow, you can submit to a fallen, possibly often foolish or failing husband. Because as you serve your husband, you're, you're actually serving Christ. And Christ will honor your service, especially, especially when this husband is unworthy. Especially when he's not perfect. When you honor who God honors, you honor God. When you obey God's commands, you honor God. When you trust God's design, you honor God. So when a wife trusts the head of the church, she can trust the head of the home. Because your submission, wives, especially to your faulty husband, is empowered by submission to Jesus above that husband. And the basis, the foundation for your submission to your husband is not ultimately founded on how competent and how right and how holy and righteous he is. It's founded on the grace of Jesus and his commitment and love for you in your failure, in your foolishness, in your sin, and he doesn't give up on you. And now because you have that from him, you can give that to this husband. You can give that to him, you can forgive him, you can still honor him. So you don't need a perfect husband. You don't need a perfect man in your life because you already have one, his name is Christ. What you need is a repentant husband and you want to do everything you can to cultivate the soil in the marriage so that this dude finds it easy to repent. He's not scared, he's not worried, he's not apprehensive about having to eat crow and apologize or fess up or say sorry or I screwed up. He, because he's seen this pattern before, he knows that that is a safe place in this marriage and you've, you've cleared the way for him to repent. And welcome him and, and hug him and, and trust him with, op- with an open spirit and open heart to, to reconcile. And he still has a place with you and he can still lead you and you still love him and you'll follow him. You want to help him by make, clearing the ground in the marriage and making wide open spaces for this man to feel safe and confident to repent and say, sorry, I really screwed up. I should have listened to you. The wife who believes that Jesus died so she can live can now tell a falling, failing, foolish husband, I'm still seeking your good before my own. I want to just take a couple seconds. Let's get real functional, real practical. What, is that? what might this sort of thing, this for the gospel woman, but this gospel doctrine of you before me, what might that look like or not look like? One, it doesn't mean you submit to your husband in anything that he says. Because you serve the Lord. You reverence the Lord, wives. Your purpose, your goal, your strategy, the command to you is to reverence, to honor Jesus. And you can't honor Jesus in sin. So, submit to your husbands. In what? What's that word? Everything. But not sin. You actually honor your husband by refusing to join him in sin. And it doesn't matter how mad or angry or accusing or manipulative he gets because you won't join him or do the sinful thing. You're actually honoring him and honoring and reverencing Christ. Number two, it doesn't mean you agree with everything your husband thinks or says or wants to do. Your life is meant to reverence Christ. So in, 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 I'm going to tell you this. Wives, there is a way, it is absolutely possible, in fact, I'm, t- I'm telling you, it would be preferable for a wife to show her submission to the authority and leadership of her husband by speaking up with clarity, with humility, with patience, with grace, with mercy, and not just with the words you use, but the attitude and facial expression, and when you do it, and who you do it in front of, but to tell him. I'll just give Shannon some words here, right? uh, I'll, just hypothetical. You don't have to say it, but I'm just like, here's the hypothetical. I, let's say I just want to do something dumb. It's, it's well-intentioned, but I'm, I'm going to do something dumb. It's not going to be good for our family, even though I think so. I think it's good. And so here's what her submission looks like, is to come and say, you know what? Listen, Matt, I see what you're doing. I, I, I believe you've been praying. I believe you're trying to put some thought into this. You're a smart man. I admire you, and you, right? And I love it when you take the initiative and put plans together for our family. I love it when you do that. But I I don't have peace in my spirit on this one. I have some concerns. Before you pull the trigger, can we talk about this? Tonight, like today? But before, I just, I have, I got some disagreement. I don't think this is a good idea. I wanna lay that in front of you. I want you to hear me, I want you to trust me. Even if you end up still deciding, I I just wanna know that I'm heard. I want you, let me help, let me help you. Help me help you. That's submission. You honor your husband by, in a humble, kind, and maybe even firm and respectful way going, no, 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 no. please don't. That's not wise. That's not good. That's sinful. Maybe there might be a better way. Can I help? Would you let me help? That would be submission. It would totally be submission. It's not loving to keep quiet if you see your leader in error. Gospel submission of a wife doesn't mean you become a mindless, thoughtless coquette, just a girl with a just airhead and was like, whatever my husband says. He's so smart, I'm so dumb. No, uh, uh-uh. that's, that's moronic, and that's not anywhere in the scriptures. Your disagreement. Needs to be constrained as an act of loving, humble submission, because when you disagree with your husband and you try to help him with this plan or these decisions that he's making, that's you if your heart is to go, I'm seeking his good before mine, and I know that to him, to be a it's important to him that he's a good leader and that he's effective and powerful and useful. I know it would make him sad and hurt and embarrassed and ashamed to realize and recognize that he's wrecked the whole thing. And because I'm putting his good before my own, I'm actually going to come in submission to ask him, don't, don't do it yet. I'd like to help, please, right? This is wrong. That's dumb. Please don't do that, right? It also means that you trust him. It means that you trust him. Which, again, is hard. You understand what trust is, right? Here's my working definition of trust. It's not very tweetable. Trust is when you free someone, you give them freedom, you give them permission to to do something or say something that's going to affect you in a way that either you're frightened of or you don't like. You're going to let them do or say something that you're worried is going to, you might even be convinced, it's going to affect me in a negative way. It might bring me pain, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, but... I have a deep conviction that this person loves me and even if they do or say something here that's going to hurt me, I'm going to stick to my conviction that they love me and they're not bringing me that pain because they hate me. I'm convicted that they love me and they're for my good. And so, if I've got cancer, I'll let them bring the knife up to me. If I've got... If if I'm blinded by something, I'll, I'll still let her touch my eye and get in there and I'm frightened of it but I believe she's for my good and she's trying to get me to see real clear that's trust and the only way to learn to trust someone is to trust them we build trust when trust has been broken by husbands or wives we got to rebuild trust we got to work to, work and see that this person is establishing a pattern where they're, we can trust them and trust them more and more. But the only way to regain and rebuild trust is actually to exercise trust. Trusting your husband means giving him room to breathe, giving him room and space, freedom to try, to try, and giving him room and space to fail. And when he does... He's already got a space prepared that he knows he's safe and he can run to to admit it, confess, ask forgiveness, repent, try to make it right. It means that this is both a public, wives, this is a both public and private commitment. In front of the kids, in front of the family, in front of your mom and dad. In front of your girlfriends in front of his buddies, in front of coworkers, in front of the world. This is a public and private commitment to respect and honor your husband. And you don't have to lie, you don't have to flatter him. You don't have to lie and, and, and pretend and act like in front of others, he's better than he is, or per- perfect, right, don't lie. But you also don't have, you also don't have to to expose the truth of what is dark, or wrong with him in front of other people because one, that's not their burden to carry. That's your honor and privilege to carry with your husband and, and care for him and forgive him and, and bring him back to Christ. That's your honor. So don't take what belongs in private for your privilege to bear. Don't put that on other people to bear with your husband. Right? This is a public and private commitment. And it means praying for your husband and encouraging him to pray. Read the Bible, be close to Jesus. It means encouraging him and freeing him as much as you can to be with and be for and in the church. It means encouraging him with gospel-fluent communication. And it means essentially giving him what he does not deserve. You know what we call that? Grace. Which is what you got from Christ the unmerited favor of Christ which you don't deserve (laughs) and you respect him and love him for it and if you want your husband to respect and love you I can't guarantee it but this is this is the path this is the way for perhaps your husband to respect admire and love you and trust you is to be him Christ with grace now I want to switch gears as the text switches gears here I got to run up to the end When a wife trusts the head of the church, she can trust the head of the home. Now the husband. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of of water with the word. You wash your wife, you bring about, and you cultivate holiness in her. With what? The washing of her with the word. Think sweet, kind, gentle, tender bubble bath. Not, a, not ice bucket challenge, not fire hose. And you do this so, he does this so that he, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in this same way, how Jesus is treating the church, that's you. That's what you do for your wife. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. He calls us members of his body. The husband who wants a happy life with his wife lays down his life for his wife. You You want a happy life with your wife? then we can, we can set aside all the worldly common folksy wisdom. Well, happy wife, happy life. I just, you know, I just do whatever the boss says and just do whatever the manager says. That may be a joke, but that may also be a joke revealing that you are indeed abdicating your responsibility of leadership to care for, protect, and guide, and shepherd your wife. And you've abdicated responsibility and you're sinning against your wife and now she has to lead because you won't. But we covered up with a little joke, right? We can, yeah. well, yeah, as long as she's happy in the bedroom then happy life, right? we can put that stuff away. You want a happy life with your wife? Then you lay down your life for your wife. The gospel trade is fueled by belief in who Jesus is and what he's done. So Jesus says, you before me. I die so you live. That's our pattern. The pinnacle of the glory of Jesus. It's it's found in Philippians 2. It says that the king of the universe, with his limitless worthiness and his limitless glory, he laid down his life for the unworthy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans. He He suffered the greatest sorrow so you can gain your greatest joy. He suffered the greatest loss so you might lay hold of your greatest gain. So the motivation for a Christian husband to obey God in this passage is the same as the wife's. Men, you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord. What is the husband to do? I'm 25, husbands, love your wives. Love your wife. Love your wife. Wives are to respect husbands. Husbands are to love wives. Cherish her, treat her gently. Treat her kindly, make her safe, and do what you can to make her feel safe. I don't know what you're losing your mind about. You're safe. You're fine. We're okay. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, you can know, get your act together, You women, emotional. You're not thinking clearly. I'm being rational. we're okay. Everything's going to be okay. Why are you Why are you flipping out about the bills or the money or the thing or the kids? Just chill out. It's everything's going to be okay. We're safe. Yeah. The more you repeat it, it doesn't help. You don't feel safe. You want her to believe. To believe that, like, Help her feel like she can believe that. It matters how she feels. What does this love practically in, in real life look like? It looks like husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You love her the way that Jesus loves his girl by sacrificing himself for her and putting her good before his own. And I want you to know pretty well acquainted with the vast majority of you in the room or at home. I'm fairly well acquainted with the status of most of your marriages. Fairly well. I'm trying to be a good shepherd and know my flock. And I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what his own bride is like. He's not telling lies about his chosen people. Read read Hosea. Jesus goes, my my chosen people, my bride, my beloved, you're a hooker. You're a sex slave. And I purchased you and loved you and provide all that. You don't need to do anything or trade anything in order to get love or or provision or protection. You're my wife. And then she goes and leaves the home and resells herself back into harlotry. And Jesus lays down his life for her. He loves her. And he goes back. And purchaser purchases, her, or again, he already paid the price. Pay it all. He's committed to her. So I know, in a message like this, much like maybe some of the wives were thinking a little a little earlier, right? You just don't really know all about my husband, though, Matt. I mean, you just, you just don't know how. I don't, and I don't need to. I know the Bible, and I want you to know the Bible, bros. You just don't know about my girl, like the crazy, the inconsistent, the bossiness, the nagging. The little faith, the selfishness. Jesus knows all about your girl because he knows about his. He knows. He's omniscient. He knows all. He sees. He goes, yeah, what of it? I know you. I gave you unmerited favor. I give you grace. I love you. I gave her to you so you can give to her what I give to you, which is grace. You love her. you know what Jesus' strategy for pursuing the improvement of his bride is? Because what he, what he wants to present the bride, he wants to present the church to himself, uh, what is it? Oh, uh, splendid, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and without blemish. What do, how do we apply that? Because neither the church nor your wife is perfectly clean, perfectly splendid, she does have spots. She does have wrinkles. If not yet, give it time. And and she is covered in blemishes. And often she is not holy. Do you know what God does to get her there? He dies for her. He lays himself down for her. He hurts. He suffers for her. He makes sure that his girl gets what she needs. Not what she deserves, but what she needs and what she wants. And he sacrifices to get that for her. And do you know what happens? He does this in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And all these things. Now here, husbands, here's one big difference. In this thing, if we're going to apply this, you're not Jesus. Jesus. You are the leader of the home like Jesus is the leader of everything, but you're not Jesus because that would lead you to some wild, heretical, unhelpful, destructive implications about the way you're supposed to live your life because now if you're Jesus, Jesus is infallible, you are fallible, but now you're not allowed to be questioned or disagreed with. Your word goes, this is what I say, you're not Jesus, and she can't follow that. She's only got room in her life for one Jesus to infallibly try to trust in everything, But you're supposed to pattern and show and bring Jesus to her. Look what I just told the wives a little while ago. All of that stuff is for you. Look at this. Verse 28 In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, it doesn't say husbands should love their wives' bodies the way they love their own bodies. I love my own body. And I like back rubs that turn into not back rubs. So I'm going to love my wife the way I want to love my own body. Time for back rubs that lead to not back rubs. That would be selfish, right? It's not about the body. You love your wife. Love everything about her as though she was your own flesh. You cut your arm and, ow you hold it to your body and protect it instantaneously. It's instinctual. You can't help it. It's just your body and you want to protect It got hurt. So she's hurt. You go oh mine you're okay this hurts you you got cut but I'm hurting with you I'm gonna pretend. I'm gonna watch out for you in mind heart and soul love her the way you would love your own body he who loves his wife loves himself now if there's any way that God would tell you here's how to love yourself love her because you're good brothers you, you husbands you're good now that you're married to her, is bound to her good. Seek her good, and you'll find your good. Aim for your own good. You will find unhappiness, and you'll find it quickly. But if you aim for her good, you're far, 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 far more, far more likely, by the grace of God, to receive your good, because your good is... Bound to hers do you want your di- husband's do you want your dignity respected and honored Then you respect and honor her dignity do you want your needs met your interests cared about then meet her needs and care about her interests I, I come home over a long day at work and I just don't want to hear her yammer about her job or, or what happened at the house oh, I'm just tired give me time why don't you why don't you crucify yourself and suffer And listen to your wife because she might not have gotten to talk to an adult all day long. And the one adult she gets to talk to is apparently her best friend. And she loves you and she wants to talk to you. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to many of you. You want her in a place. Do you want her in a place where she supports you and takes care of you? Then put her in that place where she can support you and care for you. I want you to see what happens in Jesus' paradigm. His highest and most important goal is for his glory to be seen and therefore enjoyed. He reveals his glory to those he loves because he wants to make them, make them happy. His fallen sinful people, that's us. We don't see his glory, though. It's there, but we don't recognize it. And not only do we not recognize it, we don't even want it. The Bible says over and over again, just Romans 3, for instance, no one wants God, no one chases after him, no one sees him, no one cares about him. And if if we know about him, we hate him. We insult him. And we don't praise him. We don't honor him the way he deserves. In fact, sinful humanity takes what belongs to Jesus alone, which he gives to us as a gift, and then we take it and we turn around and sell it for a lesser glory, for a lesser joy. And so, what does Jesus do? Because he wants glory. He wants praise. He wants honor. He wants worship. He wants his dignity respected. He wants his authority trusted and obeyed. So what does Christ do with this sort of woman, this sort of bride? Does he lord his authority over her? Does he demand of her and diminish her and put her in her place? Does he punish her? Does he mock her? Does he threaten her? Or does he freeze her out until she respects and loves him? Is that what Jesus does? No. Nah. Do you know how he secures his glory and his honor and His the obedience from his bride? He puts his greatest act of glory on display for her. You're not seeing my glory. I'll show you my glory. I'll go low so you can go high. I will die so you live. I'll put your good before mine. I'll suffer for it. The way that Jesus gets us to see and love and honor His glory is by gloriously laying down His honor and dignity and clothing us in it, and we don't deserve it. So your loving sacrifice, your servant leadership to your wife is not predicated, founded on, or fueled by her worthiness, her competency. It's it's fueled on Christ's, and now you can. What's the practical look here? How does a Christian husband live with his wife if he really believes this gospel? Number one, he takes responsibility for the life of his home. He takes responsibility. And I don't just mean the plans, but husbands take responsibility. Brothers, you don't have, you don't have to be in charge of everything or do everything or have your hand on every area of your life in your home. You, you're not required to have all the brilliant ideas you're not required to come up with all the right plans. You're just responsible for it. And God has given you this woman, and she's wise in ways that you're not. She's, she's, she's a, a left hand to your right hand, so you guys can fold together. So you can open a jar of pickles together. You can't open that jar with your one big, strong right hand. You, you need her to come along and hold it, so you can twist the cap, right? You need to lead in the home, so like family devotionals. Like if you're going to do a family devotional, right? And it's just listen. You don't have to even run the devot. Just lead. It's your responsibility to go. All right, family. It's seven o'clock. Well, you know, kids are you're going to bed at eight. Family devotional. Everyone, dinner table. I don't have homework. I know, but there's no homework in heaven. You 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 need to meet Jesus. So everyone to the table. And I'm not so good at talking. I'm not so good at praying. I'm kind of uh, self-conscious. Not me. I'm just a hypothetical guy. And so. But you're supposed to lead. So then the husband, you get to go, sweetie, why don't, why don't you pray for us? Mom's going to pray for us. Martin, bow your head. Bow your head, right? Mom's going to pray because she's really good at praying. I'm so glad she's, she's going to pray for the family. All right, now we're going to open the Bible. Now, maybe this husband, you're not so good with words. You can't read so good. You stutter. So you go, all right. Becky, why don't you go ahead and read this passage for the family? Marty, why don't you read the first question we're going to, answer, we're going to talk about tonight? Valencia, why don't, you, why don't you close us out and pray, pray for us? You just got to lead. You don't have to do it all. And you don't have to have all the smart, what are we going to do about the house? Blah, blah, blah. We got to figure out this mortgage and these tax bill, blah, blah, blah. You sit down and you lead your wife in that discussion. You sit down. All right. I'm, I'm not good with numbers. That's me for, in real life. I'm not good with numbers. Show me what the numbers are, interpret them for me, help me understand, and then I need some ideas. I need, you, I need you to tell me what you think we should do. I got no clue. Do you know what me doing that is? That's leadership. I'm leading, and I'm calling upon her power and wisdom in a way that honors and, and dignifies her and shows her love. <laughs> Number two, he takes initiative for the future of his home. So. Listen, taking responsibility doesn't mean just leading over the home and making the plans, but also means taking, taking responsibility for messes you didn't make. Right? Here's my temptation. I know many of you run into this too. You suffer under this, and we all need to repent, brothers. You come home. You've been working. I'm the one who works. I bring home money. I do all this stuff, blah, 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 all this. You come home, and there's a mess, right? Three kids are on fire. There's a dog, and it's one leg missing, and your wife is crying mascara. And, and and you come home, he's like, you gotta help me and do this. I, I, I need you, I just need you to take the and you go, I don't know why you're mad at me, I don't know why you're getting on to me. I didn't make, I didn't cause this mess. You you guys are crazy. You guys you guys all did this. I'm handling my responsibilities. Why should I get you made this mess? Jesus shows up and finds the mess that he didn't cause, and he takes responsibility for it. He leads. He takes responsibility for problems that he didn't cause. And he takes initiative for the future of his home. You need to think about the future. You need to pray about the future. You need to sit and think. You need to pray. You need to talk to God yourself. And you need to spend time doing that with your wife as well and go, let's talk about the future of our family. What should we be like? What should we become like? We're, we're, what, what, what should our family life look like in one year, three years? What, what does God want us to want to be like and, and do? You need to take responsibility for that. You don't need, you're not responsible for determining all of those things. You're responsible for leading toward the future and getting her help, which might even be a greater comp- contribution than what you can come up with with ideas. That's great. God bless you. You're a lucky guy. You're a smart wife. Number three, he accepts the honor of being the lead repenter. The gospel husband who believes the gospel, he, he takes on the privilege of being the lead repenter. It's your responsibility, husbands, to not abdicate and neglect that and set that responsibility on your wife, but to take up the privilege of being the lead model in repentance. Showing your wife and your kids that Jesus' way really is best. And how do I convince them that Jesus' way really is best? I'll put put skin in the game. I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'm sorry. I really messed up. I sinned. I was way off. And I shouldn't have talked to you like that. I should not have done that. Or I should have done this, and I did not. I failed, and I am so sorry. And I don't want to be like that, and I want, I want to not be like that. I want to repent, and I want to, I want to do what I'm supposed to do toward you, and I wronged you. Please forgive me. And if I can, I want to try to make it right. If you'll let me, I want to make it right in any way I can. That's how you convince a wife that she can trust Jesus, that his way really is best, and this gospel is true. That's how you convince your kids that they can trust Jesus with the, with their sin. Is by trusting him with your sin in front of them, with them, to them. You be the lead repenter to not require her to apologize first. Wait, I'm not going to say that she, you know, this time she's the one who really started this, you know. It's not it's not the passive aggressive roll over in bed cuz you know, you're not supposed to let the sun go down on, on your anger. saying, roll over. You know what uh for my part, I'm sorry, for today's argument, you know, I'm sorry, for my 10 percent that I contributed to it. Oh, well, before I go to sleep, is there anything you, you want to say to me? No, that's, that's not genuine, that's not honest. It's not Christ-like. It's to say, I'm sorry, for my part, small or big, I'm small. I, I'm sorry, and I, I need forgiveness. Remember, he uses all of his authority to bless his wife every bit of authority, all the leadership God has given you. All of the freedom, the responsibility, the authority for you to be the person in the home to go, all right, this is what we're doing, this is when we're doing it, everyone needs to do what I've just said, follow me, submit. All of that is given to you to bless them and not bless yourself. You use it to bless yourself, you will not be blessed. You use it to bless them, you will be blessed. Because no man hates his own body. You serve your wife by leading. So you wear a towel and you get on your knees and you beckon her with authority to take a seat in front of you so you can wash her feet. So verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Which is what Shannon prayed this morning. This mystery is profound. And Paul says, I'm saying that the mystery of marriage is a significant, profound, important mystery. And I'm, he's saying, it's not a mystery anymore. Marriage, the picture of man and wife, is meant to refer to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ultimately, a Christian marriage is marked by that evidence. Put on display between a husband and wife you before me and I'm going to bring you joy by showing you Christ's glory I want more than my own independent good and safety and flourishing, I want yours more than mine, and I want mine but I want it more than you that we're one flesh loving one another, unified giving of who we are and what we have for the good of the other, which is my own good and so the husband loves his wife, like Jesus does, with patience, with dignity, with tenderness, with safety, protection, gentleness, being trustworthy, being faithful, being generous, telling the truth and being honest, being consistent. And I know it says, wives are supposed to respect your husbands, husbands show your wives love by respecting them. Love them with respect. And the gospel wife will respect her husband with mercy, with compassion, with bravery, with trust, with modesty, with encouragement, with wisdom he desperately needs. And she'll respect her husband with love. Because that's what she has, she needs, that's what he has. She. what he needs. Christian spouses give one another joy by reflecting the glory of Christ. Jesus is not interested. Let's move into our communion. Jesus is not interested and he's not aimed at being authority, head, king, and ruler of the church and the universe in such a way that we aren't excited and happy about it. God is not interested in any way, shape, or form my acquiescence, my begrudging submission. Do you know how to kill my authority and make me just feel like it's just a weird, it's, to, it's toil for me to be a leader in the home or in the church? Do you know how to kill me? you know how to sap all the life out of me in my leadership? Just me to go, we need to do this. Please do this. Can you do this? I guess. And then you do what I asked you to do. Yeah, you did what I asked you to do. You did what I told you to do, but I guess. I don't don't think I'm ever going to tell you to do anything ever again. Because I don't, I'm not looking for, but grudging, I guess, if I have to. You you got kids? It doesn't work for you, does it? Because even if they clean their room, they're still disobeying somehow, aren't they? God doesn't want that from us he wants us to trust him and be happy about his leadership he doesn't want to have to command 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 he wants to welcome and invite us and we go yes of course i will do that you're so good you're so powerful and you love me so well so as we take communion we want to have the kind of relationship with the lord and see that played out on our lives to be a husband who goes i'm i'm leading And this is what we're doing. And for the wife to go, I trust you. I love you, I'm gonna honor you. My default is, if that's what we're doing, then I'm here to help make that happen. And for her to also know that she's allowed to go. And before I go do my part and put into play what you're telling me we ought to do, would you let me speak up and say some things? Offer some alternatives? And he goes, we're not moving until you're on board. Talk to me. They're both submitting, and yet there's still leadership and there's still submission. This is purchased for us by Christ. The husband and wife now become one flesh. And you get husband and wife one flesh because Christ's flesh was pierced. So in our communion, we have this picture, this lesson of the gospel whether you are husband or wife or you are single, divorced or widowed, wherever you stand, this is the picture of what Christ does and is and how he feels about you and what he wants for you. That bread, this wafer at the top of the little container, that is Christ's body, and it was broken and crushed under the wrath of God that you, you and I are worthy of and deserve. And that juice... That red juice represents his blood which cleanses us of the shame and the guilt and the humiliation that we ought to be wearing. But we don't have to because we're clean now. And it's all done by Christ because he loves us and he shows us his glory and when we see that, when we believe that, when we walk in that and live that, we find our joy. I want you to Bow your heads, close your eyes. When you come up in a second to take communion, I want you to come and take hold of your joy. I want this to be an opportunity, if your spouse is here, to take communion together as one flesh and to pray for one another's good, to commit to one another's good in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus and brings you both joy. And if that means there needs to be some repentance, then at least let that start here in communion. If there needs to be some release of forgiveness or bitterness, let that start here in communion today. If there's honor and kindness and encouragement that has been far too long in coming and you've been meaning to say it or share it and honor them, love them, a kind, good, godly, loving word. Let that start in communion. So as you honor this spouse, you honor God, because that's who you're really honoring as God. So after I'm done praying, you'll come up, you'll take communion. You can give in our offering and tithe box in the back, or you can go on your phone, you can give on our website. It's an act of worship, and then we'll sing and worship too. Let's pray, Lord God. I do ask that you would you would receive it as praise. You would you would receive it as honor, as as worship, that we bring our filthy clothes to you that we cry out to you in need. That is what honors and glorifies you, that we come to you. And we are not, we're not trying to solve it ourselves. We come wherever we're at in our life today, husbands, wives, single. We come. As we come to you, we, we want to praise you and honor you and worship you with our very need. We're thankful, Lord, that this gospel trait is a gospel trait and that for each, all, and every one of us, even though this trait that says you're good before my good, each one of us in our own way has been failing, is failing, is struggling, not doing so well, it's a gospel trait. And your cross, your blood, and your mercy and grace covers even that, so we can keep practicing. You don't reject us. You love us. So for your glory and for our joy, I'm asking for these things, for myself, my wife, my family here, your people. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.